answer is in Jesus Christ. We have become children of God. Lord, we're amazed at your great love for us and how humbly you've come among us and lived and died that we, the unholy ones, may be made holy. Lord, we just give you thanks afresh today that you love us so much, that we belong to you. And Lord, all this is not performance-related. All this is based on the person of Jesus Christ. And we give you thanks and we give you all the glory that you have clothed us in righteousness divine. You have clothed us in Jesus Christ. And Lord, in your sight, we are holy, we are pure. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. Thanks, guys. There was a minister and his wife who had two children. Uh, this is not an autobiographical story, by the way. And uh, one uh, little girl, one little boy. And uh, the six-year-old girl, the, the mom and dad were having some challenges with in terms of uh, obedience, particularly in church. A uh, little girl was always getting into trouble. And so the dad had a chat with the daughter and said, look, I've said to mommy that if in church today or any day you're naughty, then she's going to bring you out of church and it's going to bring you directly home. So they came to church on the Sunday and uh, everything was going well for the first half of the service and then the little girl couldn't resist it anymore and she turned to her little brother and she gave her little brother a really, really hard nip and he yelped at the top of his voice in the middle of a hymn. And so the mom turned to the woman next and said, look, could you look after my little boy? And she took the girl and headed for the door at the back of church. At the end of the hymn, just as the congregation were sitting down, there was that moment of silence before they went into prayer, and it just coincided with a little girl and her mom arriving at the back of church, just about to head at the door, and the little girl knew what was ahead of her, trouble. And as the congregation were kneeling down to pray, a little voice came out from the back of church, please pray for me. <laughs> and in a way that tells a little bit of the story of Esther. Esther has asked Mordecai, her cousin and her guardian, to ask the probably about 20,000 Jews living in the citadel of Susa, the capital of the Persian Empire, to pray for her as she goes into the court of King Xerxes. Knowing the fact that Xerxes being the type of king that he is, Quite often, if, well, if anybody goes into his presence without his say-so or without his mercy, then they will be automatically put to death. King Xerxes liked to control his environment so much that, we, that even whenever Mordecai was in sackcloth and ashes, we hear that he only went as far as the city gate. And the reason for that was because no one was allowed into the courts of the king who looked unhappy. Because the king didn't want anyone around him who looked unhappy. And so he only went as far as the court of the king. Because if you went into the courts of the king looking unhappy, you were put to death. So you can sort of see the managed environment the king wanted to exist in. And so Esther knew in going to plead for the Jewish people that she was taking her life in her hands. 
as she walked into the court of the king, if he, because she was uninvited, if he didn't lift the golden scepter and point it at her as she was walking in, then she'd be taken away and put to death immediately by the people who were the courtiers in the palace. And so understandably, she asks that people would fast. It doesn't mention pray, but we can take it pray for three days without food, without drink, and pray for her that she would have favor from God whenever she goes into the court of King Xerxes. Even though she is queen, she knows that this is a moment where her life hangs in the balance. She says, if I perish, then I perish. And I imagine as she walks in there, she has probably put on her very best robe. She's looking her very best, and she comes in, and I imagine her palms are sweaty, her heart is beating, and she is praying, praying, praying. In that moment, the gold scepter will be raised towards her, and she will be given an audience with the king. And thousands of people are fasting and praying for her as she walks into the court. But the writer of the book of Esther doesn't want us just to understand that this is an earthly moment where Esther is walking into the king's hall of King Xerxes, the king of Persia, who called himself the king of kings. That actually she is walking in to the heavenly court of the heavenly king and the true king of kings and the true lord of lords because everything is decided not here, everything is decided there. And so even though God and prayer aren't mentioned, the whole book is about God and prayer. The whole book is about the fact that life isn't a game of chance. Everything is decided in the court of the king. And so at the start of chapter 5, the writer of Esther doesn't name Xerxes, and I think there's a good reason for that. It's because the writer wants us to understand that Esther is stepping into two courts, one on earth and one in heaven. On the third day, Interestingly, the same language used for Jesus' resurrection. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, and it will be given to you. So I can imagine Esther is sighing with relief, hoping, seeing that she's been shown mercy, and she comes in, and she is praying constantly, I'm sure, to be guided by God as to what she should do. What should she do and say that can save the 15 million Jews? who are living in the Persian Empire. And this whole story is about how prayer works. The whole book is about the fact that God is in charge. God is sovereign. God is Lord. It's not a game of dice. God is ultimately in charge. But it's also about prayer. And we may wonder sometimes, well, how does prayer work if God's in charge? What does it matter what we pray if God ultimately is in charge? And the book of Esther answers that question. Because the book of Esther is all about the fact that there is a throne in heaven and God is on it and God's in charge. But it's also about the fact that when we go to God in prayer, 
that we can actually not only be changed ourselves, but we can change circumstances and we can change history. Because God's plan is dynamic. There's this dynamism to it that actually involves us coming in prayer. And when we come to God in prayer, the plan, the plan changes. The plan is altered. The plan involves us being involved with it. We can actually determine the way history works. We can determine how things happen. Circumstances can change, and we can change when we come into the place of prayer. That's what the book of Esther is all about. And I think it's really important for us in this whole series looking at prayer to understand, well, how is it that we approach the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Well, we approach him knowing that he's in charge, that he's king. We approach him knowing that by doing so, we can change history and be changed ourselves. But we approach him in awe and reverence and humility because like Esther stepping into the court of King Xerxes, our very life is in his hands. And so when we pray, we don't say, oh, you know, God, you're my buddy and would you mind doing me a favor? We say, God, you are the king, you are the Lord, and I come to you in reverence, I come to you in awe, I come to you in boldness, and I come to you clothed in Jesus Christ. Because like Esther standing in the court of the king waiting to see what would happen, every time you and I come into the presence of the Lord, we rely on the mercy of Jesus Christ. We rely on the fact that Jesus Christ has died for us and we are clothed in righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. Because whenever we become Christians, not only is our unholiness given away, but we receive the holiness of God. So Esther coming into the presence of God is it's like whenever we come to the end of our days, every single one of us will be in Esther's shoes. Every single one of us will stand in the court of the king and there will be the king of kings and lord and lords in front of us and every single human being in that moment will be decreed over them life or death. That's the whole story of the Bible. And only those who are righteousness and holy will receive the point of the golden scepter and will receive the mercy of God. In fact, only those who are clothed in Jesus Christ will receive mercy. Because when the Lord looks at us as Christians, He sees not our record, but He sees the record of Christ. He sees us clothed in righteousness. And so when we baptize people here, if we baptize them in the pool, then both for practical reasons but also for theological reasons, they are clothed in a white toweling robe. Because in the early history of the church, when people were baptized naked, whenever they came out, they were clothed for their own modesty, but also they were clothed in a white robe to signify the purity of Christ, which was now theirs. So listen to Charles Wesley's hymn, the last verse of And Can It Be? No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in Him is mine. Alive in Him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. 
Whenever we are baptized, we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And not only does that mean that we will not be put to death in the presence of a holy God, it also means that we can approach with boldness, not arrogantly, not with presumption, but in faith that we will live and faith that we will be heard just as Esther was heard. And again, when we come in prayer day by day, moment by moment, we're doing that thing which ultimately will be our experience. Yes, we will stand in a physical body, having been raised from the dead after the general resurrection, where every single human being will be raised and will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the judge of all. And every single one of us will be separated like sheep and goats, those who will live and those who will die. That's what the Bible tells us, the Old Testament, the New Testament, that's the whole story of the Bible. The question for every one of us is this. The question for every human being is this. Are you clothed in Jesus Christ? Only those who have put their faith in Christ, only those who have given away their unholiness to Christ and received His holiness are clothed in Jesus Christ. And so the writer of Esther, I think, is telling us something that they couldn't even have known because of what was going to happen in Jesus Christ. That every single human being, not just in prayer, but finally, will need to be dressed in royal robes to approach the King of Kings and to approach the King of Kings with humility and with boldness. The whole book of Esther, in a way, contrasts King Xerxes, who was arrogant and lustful and proud and unwise and boastful, with the real king of kings in heaven, who is, who is wise and is humble and is generous and is loving. And so we discover when we come to Christ, we discover when we come consequently in prayer that we can come to the one who is generous and loving and good and wise and being clothed in Christ, we will be heard. And in that place of prayer, we will be transformed. Because one of the amazing things is about clo being clothed in Christ is that whoever is clothed in Christ becomes like Christ. It's not a deception. We're not trying to deceive God by being clothed in Christ because He sends the royal robes to us in advance. It's like they arrive by Amazon or whatever it happens to be and we unpack the box and we put them on before we go into the place of meeting God. God is the one who sends them in advance. He is the one who is both the Savior and the judge. He sends the robes in advance so we'll be safe when we will stand in the presence of God. And so for us, when it comes to this wonderful adventure of prayer, we approach with boldness the throne of God. Every moment of every day, 
every time being thankful that the only way we can talk to the Father and live is through Jesus Christ. But what a privilege it is to speak to God and we don't deserve even to stand in His presence, let alone speak. It's like a spacecraft approaching the sun. It will be burned to a crisp unless it has its heat deflectors up. The robes of Christ are like heat deflectors. The only way we can get close to God is in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we're toast. The wonderful hymn and our one of Charles Wesley, Soldiers of Christ, arise and put your armor on, strong in the strength which God supplies through his eternal Son, strong in the Lord of hosts and his mighty power, who in the strength of Jesus trusts is more than conqueror. Stand then in his great might with all his strength endued and take to arm you for the fight, the panoply, the covering of God. To keep your armor bright, attend with constant care, still walking in your captain's sight and watching on to prayer. From strength to strength, go on, wrestle and fight and pray. Tread all the powers of darkness down and win the well-fought day. That having all things done and all your conflicts past, you may overcome through Christ alone and stand complete at last. Our God reigns, God is in charge, God is sovereign, God is Lord. That's the main message of Esther. And the other message is this, that we somehow amazingly can enter into God's plan and actually be part of the shaping of God's plan through prayer. So what is it that you are facing that you know that you have no say in, in earthly terms? Are you facing death? Are you facing sickness? Is someone close to you facing that? Are you facing uncertainty? Are you facing challenge with finance or relationships or do you feel under pressure because your employer seems against you or because the government seems against you? The whole story of the Christian life is about going to God the Father with those things that we ourselves have no control over whatsoever. We may ask, why does God work this way that He likes to redeem situations? He likes to bring darkness to light. He likes to bring good out of evil. Why did He allow Xerxes to be born? Why did He allow him to become this despot, this tyrant? who seemed to have no moral compass whatsoever, why did he allow Haman to become prime minister and decree an edict, an irrevocable edict that said that all 15 million Jews would be put to death and all of their property would be plundered? Why did God allow all that to happen? Why does God allow evil to unfold? Why does God allow pain to happen in our lives and the lives of other people? I have no answer for you. But what the Bible tells us is this. Long before Xerxes was born and long before Haman was born, God had a plan that a young woman called Esther would be born and that she would be born for such a day and such a time as this. 
And she would be so beautiful on the outside and so beautiful on the inside that God would use her to save 15 million Jews. And that is the way God works. And you in your life today have been born for such a time as this. It's no accident that you live and you're alive today. It's no accident you have the relationship network you have. It's no accident whatsoever because what the Jewish vessel of Purim says is that's called dice. Life isn't a game of chance. The Bible says even the heart of the king lies in the heart, in the hands of God. God knew the plan that he would tell Esther to carry out. A strange plan. Invite Haman and Xerxes to your house for dinner, not once but twice. And I imagine Esther didn't know how the plan would pan out. She was just going along prayerfully with what God was telling her to do. And the plan depended on a number of things. It depends on the fact that in the end, God will have his way. God is in control. It would also depend on the fact that Haman would be true to form. And because he was so arrogant and bloodthirsty, that actually he would bring about his own ruin. All Esther had to do was pray and fast and show courage and go and stand in the court of the king. Primarily the court of the king. And to keep on standing in the court of the king, preparing her for the moment when she would stand in the court of King Xerxes. But this whole story, this whole book is about the fact that everything is decided not here, everything is decided there. So let's be a people who enter into places of prayer. And every time we come up against something that we know we have no control over, we know that's exactly the place for which prayer was given for us. That you and I can be changed and transformed, putting on our royal robes and going to stand in the court of the king and calling for heaven to be done on earth in all of the challenging circumstances. And knowing that you and I, like Esther, were born for just a time like this, that our lives and our prayers matter. And ultimately, that is the answer to whenever people come to that moment of despair that we were talking about earlier. And people do, sadly, tragically, take their own lives. And people live in lives of hopelessness and despair. And the main reason is because they believe that there is no purpose whatsoever for their lives. But we believe that every moment of our lives, every decision that we make, every prayer that we pray is connected with the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we have been born, we are sitting in these seats or standing in these places for such a time as this. And the most important thing any of us can do in our lives is to pray. There is no more important work than to pray because there is so much we cannot control. There's very little any of us can control. 
So how do we step into the place where history has changed and we are changed? We do it by prayer, humbly and yet boldly, in confidence. We step into the presence and the power of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we are clothed in Jesus Christ. And we say, Lord, sort this situation out. And as we do, we ourselves are changed. And so often we become part of the solution. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to be people of prayer? Are we willing to be people who are full of faith and full of confidence in God? The writer of the Hebrews says in chapter 11 that without faith it is impossible to please God. The thing that really pleases God is faith. And faith is saying, Lord, I can't do anything here, but you can do everything here. And we pray that you'll sort it out. And waiting and praying and waiting and praying for God's will to be done and for all the glory to go to God. Shall we stand? So just as we're standing, perhaps there are some things coming to mind where you just think, Lord, it may be a big thing, it might be a small thing, but I want you to bring it before the Lord this morning and say, Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry that so often I come to you last and I try all my cleverness and everything first. And Lord, in this moment, I want to bring these things big and small to you. And I want to lay them before you and say, Lord, I know I cannot control this situation. And I relinquish control of this situation. And I lay it before you to do with my family, my work colleagues, my finances, my health, my friends, whatever it happens to be. Lord, I lay it before you today. And I say, your will be done. Your kingdom come. And Lord, raise up a fresh confidence in us in prayer. And may all the glory go to you. When you answer prayer, Lord, may we sing it from the rooftops and always say, thanks be to God for what you have done. And we know in doing that, you will build your kingdom and the darkness will continue to be dissipated and the prisoners will be set free and those who are in despair will live in hope to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.